0: the message today, I think it would be good if we pray. I want to have just a a brief word of prayer and together with you. I want you to agree with me. Eloquence is not in the pulpit. Eloquence is in the pew. The better you place a demand on the anointing, the more expectant you are to hear from God, the better I'll preach. Amen. Amen. And so we're trusting God for that kind of message today. Father, we're thankful for the privilege of worship. Our songs, our praise, are for you and to you. We magnify and testify of your goodness as we sing and praise as well. And Lord, we're just so thankful for this privilege today to worship in spirit and truth and for the privilege to hear from heaven. We believe, Lord, that today will not be just another sermon, not just another Bible lesson, but that it will be a fresh, right now, on-time word from God to every heart. You see what we need, you see where we are, and Lord, I believe you to bring the deposits of your grace and impartations of your spirit that are needed so that we may be able to say when we leave here that we truly did come into the presence of God, and we truly did hear from the Lord. So we ask for this, and thank you for it in advance, in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. The little book of Second Peter, I noticed when Matt asked how many had done your homework this week, most of the hands went up, but well, I ask you to read it, and I would ask you to do the same again this week, just three chapters, but sometime between now and next Sunday, read it again, read it in a different translation than you read it in this past week, and um, it will do you good. I've, of course, I've read it every day, and uh, uh, I would just encourage you to at least read it once before we gather again next week. Peter wrote this letter just before he died, just before going to be with the Lord, after years of fruitful ministry, a ministry of supernatural miracles, supernatural power, and great revelation from the Lord. And in this short letter he instructs believers, that's us, He addresses the problems of scoffers and unbelievers from without, and also he addresses the problem of false teachers who arise from within. The first century church faced many of the same problems and the same opposition that we face today. Evil isn't new, and Satan isn't creative the main difference you're noticing in our day is the sheer volume of evil based on such increased population and also added to that is the media by which all these things are propagated this media technology gives governments of today the ability to monitor and control the population On a scale that we have never seen before. In my estimation. We are seeing the systems put into place. To usher in the Antichrist. And his attempt to rule the world. Now whatever you may believe about. The fulfillment of prophetic scriptures dealing with the end times. And there are a number of views. One thing is clear that. The Antichrist's time in power is going to be brutal. The Bible tells us that during what is called the Great Tribulation, that seven-year period, at least a third of the world's population will die. So to put that in today's numbers, that would be over 2 billion people dead in just a matter of a few years. The thing that will stop this is the second coming of Jesus to rule and reign in the millennium here on the earth. That's going to stop that. And of course, this reign of Christ is going to be carried out with our help and our service. We are going to rule and reign with Christ during that time. Our faithfulness now Our faithfulness to live a Christian life right now, today, this week, and on through the rest of our lives, our faithfulness here and now will determine the position that Jesus will entrust us with during his reign on the earth. So it really does matter what you do with your life. It really does matter not just for this life. And it matters not just for the sake of escaping hell and going to heaven when you die, but it also matters for your position in the eternal kingdom of God, where you're going to be one of these days and the position that you will hold. So Peter deals with these kinds of truths about the end times and so forth. In this brief little letter that he wrote just before he died. We're calling this series Last Words for the Last Days. And last week we read the entire first chapter. Today I just only want to read down through verse 9. So we will reread that portion of chapter 1 down through verse 9. So if you will, look with me please. I'm going to read from the King James Version. You read from whatever version you have. But we'll begin with verse 1. Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. We'll stop with that verse 9. Last week we learned a number of things. We can't repeat all of it, but there's a few points that I do want to review. Verse 1, we learned that we have the same faith, for instance, that the apostle Peter had. You and I don't have a different faith. It comes from the same source, Romans 10, 17. It comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. It is the same spiritual substance that Paul had. It's the same spiritual substance that the Apostle Peter had. And the same faith will produce the same results. Praise the Lord. And notice it's through the righteousness of God. So faith... And unrighteousness do not mix. A lot of people wonder why they know truth, but it's not working. Well, there could be a number of reasons. But I would check this area. Am I walking uprightly before the Lord? Am I obeying Him? Am I pleasing Him? Because faith and unrighteousness don't mix. Verse 2, grace and peace... Be multiplied. Notice not added. God's in the multiplication business. Thank God. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Ephesians 3.20. I'm so glad that verse is in the Bible. But grace and peace here we're told is multiplied through the knowledge. The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I would encourage you to regularly pray for yourself the Ephesians 1 prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers and by the Holy Spirit gave us the words to pray so that we can also pray for ourselves, that Ephesians 1 prayer. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us were to believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all." I can only memorize that because I've prayed it so many times. I pray it for you every day. You ought to agree with me. Pray it along with me. Because through revelation knowledge, your faith is going to increase. It's not just a mental ascent. It's not just knowing a few facts and figures. But it's having a true revelation insight, revelation knowledge... Of the truths of the Word of God. That's how grace and peace is multiplied. And then verse 3 tells us that according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We learned last week that all means what? All. Whether it's Hebrew, Greek, Italian, Spanish, uh, French, German, Russian, all means all. And this says, all things that pertain to life, and we learned that's the God kind of life, the Greek word zoe, which means life as God has it and life as God knows it, all things that pertain to that kind of life. And God-likeness comes through, again, the word knowledge of Him. So Peter really places an emphasis On how well we know the Lord. How much we know about him. And of course we know that our number one source for that knowledge is the Bible. So we don't need less Bible in our churches. Less Bible in our sermons. Less Bible in our songs. We need more Bible. We need more of the knowledge of the word of God. Our uh, children's ministry is launching on August the 6th. With a whole series for weeks, they'll be talking, walking through the books of the Bible with your children and your grandchildren that you bring here. I tell you, that's worth a whole lot. It's worth so much to learn the truths of the Word of God. He has called us to glory and virtue or moral excellence. A separated lifestyle is required. Now, verse 4 says, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises." Now, any promise God makes is good. If God promises you something uh, and, and, you know, from, his, from His vast treasury of, of knowledge, wisdom, power, glory, and blessings, then uh, it's, it's good. But this verse talks about these promises as being exceeding great And precious promises. And we pointed out last week that nobody forced God into this. Nobody put God in a corner. I mean, think about that. You can't do that anyway. But nobody put God in a corner and made Him give us promises. All the promises of God, which, by the way, the Word says are yes and amen in Christ, in Him, all those promises were voluntarily given. That means it could not be wrong, it could not be sacrilegious, it could not be carnality for you to believe him to fulfill what he promised. If I told you today, if I told you today that I'm going to give you $20 when this uh, service is over, I should not be offended if you're kind of hanging around out there in the foyer, <laughs> you know, close by. No, all you're doing is you are believing that I meant what I said. Now, God meant what he said, and all his promises, his exceeding great and precious promises are given by him On a voluntary basis, this is what he wanted to do. And so I don't know about everybody else, but I'm going to lean in and I'm going to bear down whatever cliche you want to use on these promises. Because if God did not want me to have them, he should not have made that promise. Because as sure as he said it, I'm going to believe him for it whether it's long life and health and healing whether it's every need met and bill paid and full and on time every need met whether it's prosperity whether it's a great marriage whether it's you know a long life whatever it might be i'm going to believe him now, there may be statistics that would contradict that in the world. There may be people who don't believe it. There are probably even church folks that somehow have a problem with the promises of God. You know, there just seems to be a whole group of people. They don't want you to preach about that. They think, you know, that's really not so religious. That's not, that's not spiritual and so forth. Well, I would say baloney to that. It is spiritual. Isn't God a spirit? Yeah. Would you agree that nobody's more spiritual than God? Yeah. Well, if God made a promise, I believe it. How about you? Praise the Lord. Every good gift, James 1:17, and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That's the God that we're serving today. Ephesia, uh, Hebrews rather 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe what? What must we believe? Must believe that he is and... That he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know what a reward is. It doesn't mean you're less for having received it. It means you're increased for having received it. That's the nature of God. And if you were not raised in a church setting where you heard that. If you have not renewed your mind to these truths. If that sounds foreign to you. Then you know what you need to go to work on, don't you? You need to renew your mind to the promises of God. And I'll tell you, if you begin to study what God has voluntarily told us that He's willing to do and that He's already sent Jesus to die in our place to buy and pay for, you're going to find that uh, we have probably been living way below our privileges that we could have. Now, verses 5 through 8 is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time this morning. And uh, this is a parallel passage to Galatians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul listed what he called the fruit of the Spirit. This is kind of like Peter's list of much of the same things. And in verse 5 he says, beside this, this, giving all diligence, add diligence to your faith. And then he starts down this list. So before we get into that list very deeply, I just want to emphasize to you that here God is asking us to add something to our faith. Evidently, faith, which we know is essential, we just quoted Hebrews eleven six. 6, faith which is essential isn't all we need for a fruitful christian life that pleases god this is not just believing only believing is foundational believing is essential but it's not sufficient for you and i to have the life in fullness that god wants us to have i think it's really great how that when you read this passage god voluntarily multiplies his good and perfect gifts but he just simply asks us To do some addition. The ESV calls it supplement your faith. uh, To add to it in other words. So that tells us that faith is not just a believism. But faith is a lifestyle. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith not by sight. Habakkuk 2, 4 says the just. That means those that have been declared righteous. That means those that have been acquitted. Found not guilty, just as if I'd never sinned, the just shall live by faith, Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith, Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith, Galatians 3.11. The just shall live by faith, Hebrews 10.38. So it's essential that we believe, but that we believe to the point where it affects how we live. How we live. That is key to our testimony. That's key to the witness that we have on the earth. We cannot live as the world lives and simply say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ and expect to have a powerful witness. If Jesus is Lord of your life and mine, then that means he's the boss. Again, you open the Bible to find out what the boss said. And there's just some things in there that he says we're supposed to do. And there's some things he says we're not supposed to do. Now, that's not the most popular message that preachers preach nowadays. Uh, This is not the most popular sermon material. But it's true. It's in the Bible. Amen. This says that if we will do this... um, that, you know, that we need to add to this. Now, if you look down at uh, verse number 8, kind of jumping ahead uh, a little bit, we'll come back and, and fill in the middle in a moment. He says, if these things, the things we're going to be talking about to add to your faith, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren, you won't be barren, which means you won't be lazy, Useless, idle, slow, or unfruitful. You won't be barren nor unfruitful. Again, notice this word. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the understood subject of this whole thing here is you. You. You and I are responsible to add these things to our faith and this is the gist of my message to you today what are these things and these things that you and I are responsible to add to our faith now let me say right off the bat the things on this list are already deposited in you Galatians 5, in Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance or self-control. Those things are already in the reborn, recreated human spirit. When you were born again, that's one of the deposits that God made into us was to put the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now... We know that for those uh, components of the fruit of the Spirit to benefit us, and certainly to benefit anybody else, they have to somehow be worked out. They have to come out. They're inside, but they're not going to do much good until they are brought to the outside. They've got to surface. And so when Peter says, in his words... Add this to your faith. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about these things need to come out. And then as we study these words, we find out what they really are. And we find out the things to look for. And And I can tell you in these uh, next few minutes, you're going to be able to test yourself. And it's a self-test. You don't have to report your grade to everybody here. But you can test yourself how you're doing. How, how are you doing in adding to your faith these things that are going to make you fruitful. Let me say this as well about that. There might be some areas of your life that you're wondering, why am I not doing better here? Why aren't things changing in this area? And I don't know what that may be, and it's not really my business this morning, but whatever area or areas of life that just seem to be so stubborn and that you don't see any real progress or change you might want to consider this list of, of these things that need to, need to be added to your faith, that need to be manifested and manifestly added to your faith, because it's when these things are added that you will no longer be barren in that area. You will no longer be unfruitful in that area. So let's look at the list. He says the first thing to add is what the King James calls virtue. Virtue virtue. And this is excellence. Everybody say excellence. (coughs) Either intrinsic excellence or attributed excellence. It means praise. It's rendered virtue. The uh, God's Word translation renders that word integrity. So we're getting a little idea what this is about. The NIV renders it goodness. The Amplified Classic renders it excellence, resolution, Christian energy. We might say it this way, moral excellence. Now, one of the meanings of the word is (coughs) manliness. Now, that doesn't mean, (coughs) excuse me, that doesn't mean the ladies are left out of this. And that doesn't mean you have to act like a man. Please don't. (laughs) Amen. But we all understand the idea of a person, and certainly a man, of integrity. We see the example of Jesus Christ. And so goodness, excellence, virtue, resolution... Those are things that need to be added to your faith. In other words, you can say all day long what you believe. But if there's no excellence in your life, if there's no integrity in your life, then it's just useless. It's not going to do you any good. And these things are really heavy on the witness part of our life. The aspect of us being a witness. Because people look at you. And especially if you confess Jesus as your Lord, they're looking to see if he really is. Let me ask you this question that might help, help us understand this a little bit more clearly. Who do you know that you would say is an example of this? Who do you know? And then think about how they live. Think about how they talk. Think about what their life is about. We have to add moral excellence. So that means we can't live loosely. We can't walk in willful known sin. We can't live with unrepented sin. We can't live in bitterness. We can't live in in, um, unforgiveness. And we can't live in unbelief, which is evil, according to the book of Hebrews. We just need to live a life of virtue. Then number two, he said the next thing to add... (coughs) add to our virtue is to add knowledge. Gnosis, G N O S I S is the Greek word. That means knowing. The act of knowing. Uh, By implication, it has to do with knowledge and even science. So here's what I would say to you. Never stop learning. (coughs) Now we understand, excuse me, that first of all, This would have to do with knowing the things of God, knowing the Word of God. But also, you need to understand that if anybody ought to be smart, it ought to be God's people. So many people get out of school at whatever level they get out of school. So many people, not everybody, but so many people, they get out of school and they quit learning, they quit reading. They really quit listening to anyone who knows more than they know. They they stop this. But that's a terrible mistake. If you want your life to be everything God intended it to be, then you never stop learning. You never stop listening to people who know more than you know. If you spend all your time <coughs> with useless chatter on social media, if you spend all your time just talking about what people said and petty conversations and, and analyzing people's family arguments and, and all their petty jealousies and all the rest of that, if you spend all your time in those kinds of issues, you will not grow in the level you need to grow spiritually because those things will not help you spiritually. Amen. Thank you for your great enthusiasm here this morning. I will continue to preach. Yes, amen. Keep on. Now what we have to be careful of is what 1 Corinthians 8.1 says. Knowledge puffeth up. We have to be aware that 1 Corinthians 13.8 says knowledge shall vanish away. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, however, says that there's something called the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. Philippians 3, 8 talks about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. And in Colossians 2, and verse 3, it says, "...in Jesus are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." And as a matter of fact, this very book, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, right toward the end of the book, he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The person who thinks they know it all, the person who thinks they know enough, is really ignorant. We should never, ever quit learning. Amen? And then he says to add to our knowledge, temperance. Temperance means... Self control. Self control. And I think when you talk about temperance, you talk about self control. Most people think about a battle between their head and their flesh, their head and their body, their head and their various carnal appetites. And what we make a mistake in when we just kind of quickly accept that is that we forget that self control is not about your head overcoming your body. Self-control is about your spirit dominating both your soul and your body. If you get a revelation of that, it will change your whole perspective about how to control the urges of your flesh. You see, this is essential to learn. The Holy Spirit had Peter write this because this is absolutely essential. Because if you are a normal, healthy human being, you will have normal, healthy human appetites. Until you leave this earth, you're going you're to need to eat food. You're going to desire to eat and you're going to, uh, you know, and, and it's normal and healthy for people to have a, have a normal sexual desire, a desire to fulfill themselves in that regard. There are a number of normal, natural things that though they are normal and natural and they are fine in their proper place, they can get you into a world of trouble when they get out of place. And when you're dominated by your appetite, whether it's for food or for sexual fulfillment or if it's just for, you know, rest and being lazy, or if it's just to occupy your mind with amusement, you're no longer musing on anything, it's ah, uh, no muse, you're not thinking, you're just mindlessly sitting there in front of the screen. All those things, any of those things that dominate your life are not going to help you have the great life God intended for you to have. Temperance is your spirit nature dominating both your soul, dominating what you think about, which means if you'll make, your spirit will make decisions on what you're going to read, what you're going to watch, what you're going to listen to, and even who you're associating with. Your spirit makes those decisions for your soul. And therefore, then you can say no to your body when it needs to be said no to. Now, another thing to know about temperance is it's saying yes as well as no. You see, you said yes today to getting out of your comfortable bed, cleaning yourself up, dressing yourself up, and coming to worship God. You didn't come to see me. You didn't come to see someone on the other side of the room necessarily. We're glad we could see each other. But you came to honor God, to worship God, and to hear from God. You said yes. Saying yes to giving. Yes to walking in love. Yes to being an encourager. All the things we can say yes to. But now self-control is very unlikely if you don't know who the real self is. So when I say spirit soul and body if you don't know what that means then probably you're not good at temperance you see man is a spirit being that's the innermost part of you that's the part that makes your body live and that's the part that even causes your soul to function your brain isn't your soul it's just a physical organ that the soul and the mind operates through your spirit is deep within. That's the part that was born again. When the Bible says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, he's not talking about you're a new body right now. He didn't mean that you're a new soul or a, you have new emotions or you have a new mind right now. We know we have to work on renewing our mind, Romans twelve three. But what he meant was on the inside, the man on the inside, who, who's called the inner man or also in the New Testament called the hidden man of the heart, That man was who was changed. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. And that man or woman on the inside is who God always has intended should rule our lives. Our soul should come into domination under our spirit nature and our body really should be our slave. Amen. That's temperance. That's temperance. And then he says, after temperance, we are to add patience. Now, it's interesting, the word for patience here comes from a word for cheerful or hopeful. So the idea is endurance, constancy. It means to endure and to have patient continuance in waiting. So let me just paraphrase this for you. Patience here is the ability to wait with a good attitude. Have you ever seen somebody wait, but they did not have a good attitude? Maybe you've seen them at the DMV. (laughs) But patience, the fruit of the Spirit, patience is the ability to wait ...with a good attitude, a proper attitude. We're hopeful. We're cheerful. We endure with constancy. We're not up today, down tomorrow. We're not believing tomorrow and then we're off of it by Wednesday. But we are constantly uh, hopeful and we are willing to wait... ...for the fulfillment of all that God has spoken to us... ...because we have this fruit of patience on the inside of us. Luke 21, 19 says... In your patience possess ye your souls. Let me read that again. In your patience possess ye your souls. That's Luke 21, 19. And so we come back to this whole issue of the makeup of man. A person who doesn't manifest patience, and remember it's in you. You can do this if you choose to. The person who doesn't manifest patience has, in a sense, lost control of their soul. You know, uh, if you lose control of your car going down the highway today at 70 miles an hour or 60 or whatever you do, uh, if you lose control of your car, you're going to be in big trouble. If you lose control of your soul, you're going to get in some big trouble. You ever seen anybody just throw a fit, as we say? I mean, just go berserk, just go off. And start yelling and screaming. I mean, They act like another person. And they use all kinds of words and language that you didn't even know that they said or used. I mean, you just kind of stand there. Maybe you've been in those positions a few times in life and you just kind of stand there bewildered. I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe what I'm hearing. You know what just happened? They lost control of their soul. Now one big problem, and I'm not trying to put fear into you, but I'm trying to tell you the truth as your pastor. One of the big problems about this is when you do that, you open the door up for demons. You open the door up for spirits to find an entryway into your life. You know, people can be tormented by spirits. That doesn't mean they're demon-possessed, but they've opened a the door and something has gotten in and, then, and they need to get it out. In Hebrews chapter 10 verses 35 and 36 I want to read these two verses to you because they have to do with patience verses 35 and 36 of Hebrews chapter 10 says cast not away therefore your confidence which hath great recompense of reward for ye have need of patience that now why do we need patience here that after you have done the will of God you might receive the promise See, a lot of people quit right before their answer came. They quit right before the manifestation of the blessing of God. They walked away from their promotion. They walked away from the next level of their prosperity. They walked away from the blessing of God. We need patience. Thank God we have it. And then he says, <clears throat> to patience, uh, uh, and to temperance patience, and to patience patience. Godliness. This word comes from the word that we we would say piety. It means godliness or godlikeness. This word means holiness, and I'm not talking about the length of ladies' hair, whether or not they wear makeup or jewelry, whether they wear slacks or dresses. I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about what Amos chapter five verse fifteen says. I'm talking about loving what God loves and hating what God hates. I'm talking about hating the evil and loving the good. That's what Amos said. That's what holiness is. When you know something is not pleasing to God, (coughs) holiness is not doing that. And by the same token, when you know something is pleasing to God, holiness says, I want to do that. So in your own conscience, in your own spirit nature, your own heart, however you want to say it, when you know something is offensive to God, when something is even offensive to your own spirit, where the Holy Spirit lives, you know you've grieved the Spirit, certain things you might say or do, then you need to stop that. That's holiness. And if there are other things you know Even if you only know it because you read it in the Word, you may not have any kind of feeling at all. But you know this is something God wants, this is something God requires, or this is something that God just likes. Holiness is doing those things. That's godliness. God-likeness. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, another one of those passages that is worth reading And for those who are nervous, uh, I won't be long and I'll be finished. I'm on the last page of my notes, if that helps you any. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8 says, I like this first part particularly, for bodily exercise profiteth little. (laughs) (laughs) But godliness, we're talking about godliness, adding to our faith godliness, But godliness is profitable. Profitable. Unto all things. You see, living godly is going to affect every part of your life. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect the way you raise your kids. It's going to affect your career. It's going to affect your money. It's going to affect your health. It's going to affect all things. Godliness is profitable unto all things... Having promise of the life that now is, I like that because, you know, there's always these folks that always try to put everything off to heaven, that God doesn't do anything much good for us now. We just barely get saved, and we're holding out and hanging on, hope we make it, and if we do, then it's going to really get good. No, we have eternal life now. We have a Father right now. We have the ability to believe Him for His best right now. I know we're not in heaven. We all know that. And I'm glad that heaven is waiting. But right now I plan to live an abundant lifestyle in the blessing of God. So godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So godliness does you good from now on. The next one is called brotherly kindness. This Greek word is the Greek word philadelphia. Uh, You know Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. That's why, because that's what Philadelphia means. It means fraternal affection, brotherly love, kindness, love of the brethren. The God's Word translation renders it Christian affection. In other words, part of what we do is being kind to people to the point of being affectionate. It's not some weird thing, not some perverted thing. It just means that we're not these hard-hearted souls that are unapproachable, And, you know, that we have no care or no affection about what other people do or what they go through, but that we have affection for other people. This is a godly, sanctified version of affection. I would treat the men here like my brothers, and I would treat the women here like my sisters. And I would treat all the kids like I would treat my grandkids or my children. Nothing wrong, nothing perverted, nothing amiss. It's just godly affection. I mean, if there's anywhere you ought to be able to go and have some, um, some people that, that, that you know they care about you, you know they love you, you know they're glad to see you, and you know they would help you if you needed help and they could, it ought to be the church. Amen. You know, a church that isn't friendly isn't a full-blown church, really, That's part of it. That's part of what it's about. Brotherly kindness. And then the last one is what the King James here uses the term charity. That's unfortunate because the word is agape and it means love. It means particularly the God kind of love. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. So when we talk about love, we're talking about the very essence of who God is. Four words I want to give you about this kind of love. When we think about God loving us, and here he's saying this is how we're supposed to love, here are four words that will bless you if you'll meditate on them. First of all, God's love is absolute. Never changes. There's no real variable aspects of it. It's just all out there. God's love is unlimited. You'll never go anywhere, do anything that would stop him from loving you. God's love is unconditional. He loved us when we were unlovely. He loved us when we didn't even think about him. Now please remember and understand that God's love is not in and of itself going to get you to heaven. You're going to have to receive it and respond to it. You know, you God loves absolutely, God loves unlimitedly, God loves unconditionally, and God loves eternally. He'll never quit loving you. There's nothing you can do that'll make him love you anymore. There's nothing that you could do that would make him love you any less. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13 8 describes this love as it never fails. And that's the last on Peter's list of things that he says, add this to your faith. Walk in love. Love people whether they deserve it or not. Love people whether they earn it or not. Love God always. You say, how do I love God? The only way I've ever found in all these many years of walking with the Lord and reading the Bible, the only way I've ever seen that the Word describes practically how that love God is the Scriptures that Jesus taught us in John 14, 15, and 16, which is simply this, I don't love God to any greater degree than I am willing to obey God. Yes. Love for God is not a feeling. Right. Love for God is a decision to obey. So I love God by obeying Him. And number two, I love God's people. I love His creation, whether they're born again or not. I love people in the way that He loves them. What does that mean? That means I will do what's best for them, no matter my cost or inconvenience. That's what love does. doesn't matter how I feel about it. As a matter of fact, uh, my my greatest love tests are doing this when I don't want to. When I want to give them a piece of my mind, and then realize I really don't have much to lose, so I better not do that. But uh, you know, I really you, know, you just want to tell them off, or you want to say, "Now you know how it feels, don't you?" Or you want to say, "You know, you goofball, didn't you see this coming? You should have known this." You got yourself into this, you get yourself out of this. That's the way our flesh wants to respond. But love does what's best. You might say, well, that could be a lot of things. Yes, it could. You know, if you're dealing with, for instance, a child, doing what's best for the child may not be you doing everything for them. It's not. It's going to be teaching them to be responsible. Teaching them that there are consequences for being late. There are consequences for procrastination. There's a lot of things to love, but the bottom line is you're doing what's best for the other person. No matter my cost or my inconvenience. Now, if we do this, it says we will abound. I mean, if, we, if these things be in you and abound... They will make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we already have learned that through this knowledge we partake of these exceeding great and precious promises. This whole thing hinges upon the way we know and understand God and then respond accordingly. But notice verse 9. Here's where we'll close today. He that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. In other words, if we don't add these things to our faith. Then we're going to be living a life as if we'd never even been saved. Our witness is gone. Our testimony is valueless. And our lives will look like the lives of everybody else out in the world. And Satan will move in, I can promise you. He will move in to steal and to kill and to destroy because not manifesting the fruit of the spirit opens the door for him to do what he wants to do so we want to grow we want to add these things and so when peter was getting ready to die he knew he was leaving soon and uh, we read that particularly last week in this first chapter This is is one of the things he wanted to get over to believers. That you need to do more than just believe. And you need to do more than just believe correctly. You need to walk by faith. You need to live by faith. Amen? Amen. So a new life produces a new lifestyle. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person who hears these words today. Those who have just heard them and those who will in the future through recording, however it may come. I'm praying, Lord, for all of us to be convicted, convinced by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God of these truths so that our our lives will be changed. Lord, none of us have arrived in all of these areas. None of us are perfected in all of this. We're all a work in progress. But Lord, help us to understand that that's not an excuse to make no effort. That we need to draw near unto you. We need to allow you to shine through us because when we allow the fruit of the Spirit to manifest through our lives then we look more like you than at any other time. We look more like you, the more of the fruit of the Spirit that we manifest. And people see less of us, and they see more of Jesus. And that's what we want. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a few more moments longer. If you're here in the room today and you say, I don't know Jesus. I would like to live the kind of life that you describe. The kind of life that the Apostle Peter described. I'd like to live that way, and I want Jesus as my Lord. If you are in that position today, please lift your hand right now. I'd like to pray with you or pray for you. No hands in the room, but maybe somebody watching. Let's all pray this prayer together with those who may need to pray it right now. Say, Heavenly Father, I come in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me of all my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And so, right now, I take Jesus and I confess Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I will serve you, Lord the rest of my life. Help me now to connect with your body so that I may live and I may grow in the things of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's lift up our hands and thank God. You might have been saved for 40 years. Just thank Him right now for salvation. Thank Him right now for the cleansing from our sins. Thank God for His goodness. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.